very warm welcome to this evening's lecture, uh, or conversation really, more. Um, the uh, topic is frenzy, which is about from friend request to friendship. So it's about friendship and the effect of social media and a whole aspect around that subject. And we've got two speakers for this evening. And I'm not going to say much about them except their names because they're going to introduce themselves. So it's Rina Melwani and Trisha Barrett. And so I'm going to ask them to come and sit down and uh, they can take it from there. Thank you. So maybe I'll start. Uh, my name's uh, Trisha Barrett. Uh, and what can I tell you about me? I've been sort of meditating with the Brahma Kumaris probably since I was a kid, really. My parents first got connected uh, when I was very young. And as I began to grow up, I got more and more interested in aspects of meditation. And um, I became more and more curious about how that connected with my life as I, as I grew. Um, but I guess also where the relevance of this topic is and why um, I was asked to um, take part was my work background. Um, so I've been working in various um, fields in the British media for about 20 years or so, starting out in newspapers and then moved around in TV, radio um, uh, and most more recently social media and digital um, technology. Uh, so I work at BBC News currently and about six, seven years ago, me and a small group of two or three others uh, in our newsroom were asked to think about a social media strategy and policy for BBC News and what we should be doing on this thing called Facebook uh, and then this thing called Twitter that had just started emerging and what do we do about this thing called YouTube um, and how do we as a news organisation figure out what we should be doing in this space. Um, and so over the, the preceding sort of two, three years I was involved in various roles trying to roll out guidelines, strategies, plans of action about what we should be doing. Um, and, uh, so, and most recently I've started looking at uh, mobile technology for, for the BBC, particularly on our, in our global and international markets. And so uh, a lot of that has to do with social and digital technology. Um, and so this is, I guess, what I'm going to be talking a little bit about with Rena. So over to you. Okay. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Rena. Um, so what do I do? I'm a sales manager in a financial company um, and I've been working there for, I mean, in the financial industry for 10 years. But um, last year I decided to go into coaching. Um, so I've become a professional certified coach. And um, the reason I'm interested in social media is because a lot of my clients also talk to me about this emerging technology. How do you deal with it? How do we connect with people? And even personally, myself, I didn't grow up with social media, with Facebook, WhatsApp, or Twitter. Uh, so I grew up in an era where um, I had my first mobile phone when I was 18. So um, just, you know, the, the new uh, technology coming in and how I've changed the way I interact with people, with my colleagues, or with family, um, it's been a, a, a big change for me. So that's why I've been interested in, in talking about this today. So now uh, we're basically just going to have a bit of a conversation about this. Um, so you're invited to sort of uh, listen in, but um, we'll try and leave some time near the end if anyone's got any questions or actually maybe more interestingly any personal experiences you want to sort of uh, share with us briefly as well, that would be great. 
Um, so we decided to do a bit of an experiment, didn't we, Rina, uh, last week? <laughs> so uh, Tushar asked me if I can um, be without Facebook or WhatsApp or any sort of social media for at least 24 hours. And I looked at him in shock. <laughs> so uh, with a bit of insisting, um, I, uh, well, we, I said yes. Because <laughs> I wanted to try and challenge myself a little bit because about a week or two before, um, I'd left um, home and uh, left my phone at home. Um, and so I was throughout the whole day without access to my phone. And it was a really weird experience. It was sort of a combination of freedom and deep anxiety at the same time. And I, and I sort of um, switched or, you know, um, swung from one ex one experience to the other, which was, you know, fantastic freedom. I don't, you know, no one's going to call me. I'm not going to mm -hmm. be able when I check my phone, don't care who's trying to get hold of me. And then the next moment, oh my God, what if someone's trying to call me? What if someone's trying to text me? Or, you know, normally I'm used to my Facebook or WhatsApp alerts mm. on my phone. So I thought um, this might be an interesting exercise and in actually going on a sort of a digital fast yeah, yeah. <laughs> for 24 hours. So tell me about more about the freedom, actually. Well, was I think one of the things that um, was really interesting was I had lost sight of how attached I am to my mobile phone. Um, does anyone else have this sort of experience where you leave your phone somewhere and then you suddenly feel quite anxious? But at the same time, I certainly felt a real liberation mm. because suddenly all the um, distractions that this little magic box um, provides during the course of the day. So whether I'm talking to you now um, or if I'm in a meeting, you know, as soon as my phone flashes, almost instinctively I sort of look up, uh, look down rather, and lose eye contact with whoever mm. I'm talking to. Um, it's very rude, absolutely. <laughs> and actually, one of the videos we were going to show you before, at the start of this program, which Rena had shared with me, was this brilliant video. It's about two minutes long, which just shows the impact of people who are just constantly sort of addicted to looking at their phone screen and how they suddenly lose real connection with the human beings who are actually around them and are more concerned about the human beings that are sending them these sort of digital yeah. signals. Um, and so that sense of freedom for me was, for that period of time, when I wasn't anxious at least during that time, um, that my mind had freedom to think about other things or pay attention to other things or be focused on other things or yeah. other people who were in front of me. And probably, um, yeah, I, my productivity probably increased that day at work. Yeah. Um, because when I was in meetings or when I was having conversations with colleagues or, you know, with friends at work, um, I was giving them my full attention, which yeah. I had not realised how little of my full attention I've been giving to people because mm. of this device in my hand. Um, and so as a result of that, and you know, we did this 24-hour fast, you had more difficulty with WhatsApp. Uh, yes, because I mean, Facebook is there, but I communicate, most of my communication yeah. is done more via WhatsApp yeah. than texting. Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, there's my network, I'm WhatsApping, yeah. and then you told me to, to stop that for 24 hours. Well, I was originally going to so. propose that we just stop <laughs> Facebook for 24 hours. Yeah, and you, said, yeah, you said, that's yeah. a piece of cake. Yeah, I said, it well, what WhatsApp? You said, no, I can't do WhatsApp. <laughs> so if I was going to suffer with Facebook, I thought it would be useful if you suffered with WhatsApp um, in terms yeah. of our two addictions. Um, yeah, so for me, one of my like values are connection. So um, I love connecting with people. I like communication, bonding, 
And I kind of realized that WhatsApp, with WhatsApp, you can do that. Um, so when, you first, when I first did the 24-hour fast, I noticed that I was feeling like, oh, why am I not connecting? I need to start connecting with people. But I'm in the office. I can connect with my colleagues or with other people in the, in the streets. So, um, so doing the Facebook, I mean, the WhatsApp uh, fast for me was very interesting because in the beginning, I felt like, oh, I feel isolated mm. from the world. But then, as I was going throughout the day, I actually started noticing things about myself. So I was more aware of my thoughts, for example. I started being almost like living in the moment. So sometimes I, I run to the office, I'm going to the tube, but I'm listening to music or I'm you know, looking at my WhatsApp or my, my emails. But I was actually just walking, just living the present moment, noticing my neighborhood, mm. noticing the, the air in my face. Um, and even throughout the day, like you said, at work, I felt a lot more productive. Mm. Um, but I started speaking to people more because I was like, okay, <laughs> I can't go to more WhatsApp. <laughs> uh, so when I went for my coffee, I was like, okay, let me see if I can find someone to yeah. chat to. And that was really nice because it was me, you know, using my, my expression, my voice, mm. but in a real way rather than digitally. Or um, I felt freedom like you did. You know, this freedom, okay, I can breathe, I can, it's normal not to be on the phone. Um, and you start being more aware of your senses as mm. well. So, yeah, living in the present moment, that's what it allowed me to do. And one of the things I had to do was, apart from just not looking at WhatsApp or Facebook on my phone, I had to uninstall both of the apps from my phone because I think the temptation... Okay, that's cheating. But, but for me, I, I think that if, if I'd spotted these alerts being, you know, these notifications popping up on my phone from, yeah. from WhatsApp or Facebook, I'm not sure I would have been able to just ignore them. Mm. Uh, so I needed to actually just delete that possibility completely from my phone. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting because I came during when I was doing some research on social media, one of the things uh, I'd come across was uh, there's some. Um, some study that was done that shows that one of the most um, addictive things about social media on, and your phone, and you know this relates to f friends and people trying to message you, is that that flashing light on your phone, which indicates that someone's just messaged you, is um, a very very addictive thing, yeah. and that it actually increases the sort of the dopamine levels in your brain as yeah. soon as you see that flashing light, which indicates that something's something someone just sent you a whatsapp so message almost like a drug then yeah and yeah. I, I i first noticed it when i got a blackberry uh, a few years ago and that at that time that was like the first mobile device that really had this flashing light that really yeah. alerted you as soon as someone sent you an instant message or and the sort of the rush that gives you is quite embarrassing yeah <laughs> that you think oh my god someone's <laughs> paying attention to me um and and you get addicted yeah. to that type of messaging because I mean I don't know what it's like for you but for me it was almost like a substitute for maybe feeling that people aren't paying attention to me in the real world yeah yeah no it's it's incredible I mean I, I read the other day that there is a term called digital natives does anybody know what that means so I was quite surprised uh, so what a digital native is is anyone born after I think 1990 1995 and basically, they're born with, it's almost like having a mobile phone on their hands. Yeah, in technology. So they do everything digitally, whether it's connecting with people, 
paying, doing their bank charges, everything, booking a cab, everything is done digitally. So these are the, this is the new era, and they're called digital natives. And um, I, th I mean, the other thing with technology, which I think is a, is a great thing, and it has helped the world, but what I feel is um, it has actually increased loneliness mm. for me. Um, and I've, I, I also know that in the UK, people there's a big trend of loneliness going on. And usually loneliness is experienced by, you know, sometimes elderly people when, you know, their families leave them or there's this time where, you know, uh, it's just a stage in your life. But in the UK, apparently, young people are feeling lonely and lonelier day by day, especially mm. in London, um, which I find very surprising where, you know, we're in London where there's thousands of people. Every day you're meeting people, but people are still feeling lonely. So for me, I feel as well there's a way to to try to escape that loneliness mm. and going into Facebook or just talking about your life, you know. It's almost like a form of escapism, isn't yes. it? That you sort of get to see what all your friends are up to and their photos and their videos yeah. and their news. And I find it really... When I step back and think about it, it is quite strange that there are, these are people... I have 600 friends on Facebook. Okay. So... They, I clearly don't have 600 real friends. That's still right? less than me. Um, you've got how many? 800. 800 friends. Uh, I'm pretty sure you don't really have 800 friends. But um, one of how the things... How can you make an assumption like that? Okay, well, I I'll, may talk, do I'll have talk about one. myself. But what I tried to do uh, last week as, as well was, okay, let me try and do a friend's cull on Facebook and see how many people who I'm connected to as friends can I unfriend and feel comfortable about um, and so I thought I, I went initially thinking I'll be quite quite strict to myself so unless I really consider them really consider them to be friends I'll just unfriend them on Facebook I managed to remove about 30 people um, and that was it and and I realized that every time I was trying to look at this person yeah I've not really met them for a while but mm. sort of good to stay connected with them so I sort of let them through and then yeah so 610 to 580 yeah. wasn't a great move. Yeah. Um, but I think what you're saying is really, really true because it is a, a, a bit like um, if you lose that human connection and you don't necessarily maybe connect with friends every day of your life or whatever reason with work schedules and so on, um, it does become a bit of a sort of a, an addiction to just just see mm. what everyone's up to and it's sort of the classic time that everyone seems to be on these sorts of social media platforms is when they need to kill time yeah. or whether you know in between things so you're you're commuting to work or you know you're you know waiting at a bus queue or something yeah Natural i mean thing. i've even seen people doing it in the office yeah going on facebook yeah so they should be working yes <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean i i think what what social media has done is is actually um, basically uh, strengthened weak weak relationships. So mm. you know, people you never really keep in touch. Suddenly, you're keeping in touch with them, but in a very superficial level. Mm. And at the same time, it's weakened strong relationships. So you know, you have your strong relationships where you actually should be face to face, mm. talking to people, and you know, seeing t you know, looking yeah. at them in the eye, just yeah. like that video yeah. you mentioned. But actually, you're just going to yeah. go. I have phone. found myself messaging someone who's sat just across the room from me. 
rather than actually just walking up and talking mm. to them, which is really quite disturbing when you think yeah. about it. And happens at, happens at work all the time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Very lazy. Um, but it happens, <laughs> I've noticed it happens at work where, you know, we have colleagues yes. who are selling maybe one or two deaths away from, from Instant each other, messaging. And you just do an instant message. You know, don't bother turning around, just talking to them. Yeah. But, you know. Exactly. And, and, Sorry? Well, sometimes it's work-related, but even if it was work-related, you know, the, the human thing surely to do is to just walk up to someone and just ask them yeah. or talk to them. Um, and I think what was interesting for me about this, that sort of, you know, digital farce was just realising how dehumanising some of my behaviour is becoming. Hmm. Um, and that's got to have an impact on what real friendship's about. Yeah, I mean, I, I think eye contact is very important. Yeah. Um, so when someone speaks to me and they're not giving me eye contact, it's almost like, for me, it's just respectful. You know, I've been brought up, where, you know, even as a child, to look at people and talk to them straight in the eye. Hmm. And more and more, I'm noticing people are not giving me eye contact. Hmm. Um and it almost feels like, I almost feel sometimes I'm not, I'm invisible or I can't be seen or heard. Um, and I, I actually uh, mentor young children as well uh, as a coach in schools. And what I noticed with children, so these are girls between the ages of 9 and 11. And they can't give me eye contact at the age of 9. So I think I was, I was mentoring about 12 girls. And maybe I would say 6 to 7 of them were not giving me eye contact. And I was wondering, how come they're not being able to give me eye contact? Is it that they're shy, reserved? But it's not that they were shy or reserved. It's just that they weren't able to maintain the eye contact with me. And again, when I was a child, I would give eye contact, or I would give eye contact to other kids. Or to, you know, unless you're very shy, you wouldn't give eye contact. And I found that very sad, that a child can't give you eye contact. And I realized that they're so addicted, or they're the digital natives of mm. today, that they can't look at you. And that creates a, a barrier, you know. So it's a communication barrier. So you want to express your thoughts, your feelings, and a child probably has all these feelings that they want to express. And instead of expressing it real time, they're probably doing it on Facebook, mm. on Twitter, on WhatsApp. Um, yeah, and I find that very sad. So would you say that social, social media has no value at all? Absolutely. Because <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure I'd go that far. Yeah. I, no. you know, for my work purposes, we use social media a lot in our newsroom for very genuine news gathering purposes because mm -hmm. increasingly now when a big story breaks, you know, it's quite often that the person who's at the scene it's just an ordinary person just happens to have a smartphone and they take the first picture of the video yeah. of that event and that then suddenly becomes the main story that leads the bulletins because that's the first video of the moment when this thing happened. And you guys have probably noticed that when you look at news, if you do look at the news bulletins these days, it's much more um, content that's driven by what we call user-generated content, which is just content cre uh, recorded by amateurs, just ordinary people on the street just having yeah. to be walking past with a, with a smartphone. Um, but also from my you know, professional background, uh, I use you know, the social media sites like LinkedIn, mm. um, which are really useful for building professional connections yeah. and networks. And I have a Twitter account. I don't tweet about you know, me going to Starbucks and having coffee, but I, I normally tweet about what I'm doing at work. Mm. And I've built up a really useful connection of network 
of people working in sort of digital journalism throughout the world, which I found really, really useful and it helps with my job. Yeah. So I think there is a value to it, but I think we can quite easily get lost in it if we're not yeah. careful. I guess it's all about how, how am I using yeah. social media for my benefit. And then I guess because it's such a new trend, people haven't seen this, you know, like they haven't been able to um, find solutions for it because mm. sometimes a trend happens and it happens so quickly mm. People are not expecting what to do or the psychological uh, effects on that. Mm. Uh, and for me, um, for example, children or communication or loneliness is are big things today. And it's all about how we use the technology. Yeah. So like you said, if, if you're getting addicted to it, you know, do we need a recovery system? Yeah. Or what is it that we need? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's giving me a high, but yeah. it's giving me the you know the the adverse effect as well yes. of being high yeah which is being low so what was your recovery system during that 24 <laughs> hours when you didn't have access to it actually the the fast did help because what i noticed was the next day i was hardly using whatsapp mm. i just didn't feel feel it anymore but then after on the third or fourth day i got back to it yeah so it's about managing i guess it's about managing your mind and really prioritizing how you're mm. you're using your time and as well I guess one of the things I noticed was um, you're right that when, if you stop using something, it's I guess like most other addictions, isn't it? That if you're able to wean yourself off off from it, then the impact that thing has diminishes. Yeah. And so maybe you can use it in a more lighter way if you need to use it in a more of a yeah. lighter way. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Than, than so intensively. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing I feel is that again, it's situational. So, for example, the days I'm feeling bored or Maybe I have an emotion going on in my mind and I'm like, oh, I just don't want to feel this. Maybe I'm feeling angry or annoyed at somebody or hurt. So I do, when I feel these strong negative emotions, that's what I noticed. I don't know why I tend to go more on Facebook. I don't know what I'm trying so to get out of it. Seems like this is escapism again, isn't it? Yes, it's escapism, but it's also a sense that I don't feel, I feel probably empty inside right. or something is going on where I'm trying to access it from yeah. other places so maybe i'm getting something from that but it's still not yeah. filling me completely the other thing i've noticed and i don't think i do this much but maybe i do but i've noticed it in others on facebook that there's quite a lot of narcissism mm -hmm. on, on facebook in terms of people putting forward their best self and presenting that as mm -hmm. their real self on facebook like all the great things that happened to them uh, or how I mean, look, happy look they at are. the trend of these selfie. Yeah. Yes, selfies is that. Is I like know people really do selfies like five, six times a day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and you, know, you saw the rise of selfie sticks yeah. recently over the last eighteen it's, uh, months. It's or so, a big right? business now. So, <laughs> so selfie. I don't know if those of you are familiar with selfie sticks. That basically, you it's a stick that you put your phone at the end of the stick, which means that you can then take a photo of yourself from from a distance, so that you can get a nice angle shot. Uh, of of you know wherever you are, yeah. a lot of tourists tend to do. It. If you walk around London, you'll see loads yeah. of tourists just walking around these selfie sticks <laughs> by the Houses of Parliament or Buckingham Palace. Yeah. Um, but it is all about themselves, isn't it? And yeah, you know, take a picture of themselves and then post it on Facebook, or on Instagram, or whatever it is. And it's like, hey, look, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Talk to me. Like I mean, it's, me, I think it's, me. again, the, you know, the feeling that people don't feel that they're being heard. Yeah. You know, if, if at home and I told my, you know, like, or with my friends, I would tell them, this is what I'm doing. And yeah. people are actually listening to you. 
then you don't have that need to outlet yeah. in other ways. That's and I think the thing I do notice about myself on Facebook is if I post something and then I suddenly start seeing the likes clocking up on the update that I've done, <laughs> it gives me a sense of worth. <laughs> Excellent. I've got I've got thirty <laughs> likes on this post. You know, it's like this is I know. It's, yeah, I'm not sure this was such a clever yeah, thing to be on this panel, but um, but you, but yes, um, but it's amazing how much that suddenly starts having an impact on how you see yourself. Yeah, it's a it's a sense of ego, you yeah. know. So your ego needs to be uh, fed. Yeah. So how are you feeding your ego? You know, how, where are you taking it from? Yeah. Um, so again, that's again a psychological. So um, what, what did we do before Facebook came along? I, I'm struggling to remember. <laughs> yes. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was high five. Uh, I mean, there was Messenger before MSN. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever used yes, that. Yes, I did. Um, I used to be on Messenger quite a bit yeah. before that. So it's just it's just a different tool now that yeah. I'm using. So, okay, now that we've uh, potentially opened our eyes <laughs> to yes. maybe what's wrong, what is it that, that can help fix some of this imbalance and in terms of the way we see this technology or the value yeah. we get out of it? I mean, f for me, um, uh, I read the other day that um, our brain is basically very... Um, as soon as you wake up, the first two hours you wake up, your mind and your brain is the most absorbent. So that's the time when anything you feed to your mind, your brain, it will get absorbed everywhere, even inside you, in your body, in your feelings, thoughts, everywhere. Um, and that's why kids go to school in the morning or we go to work in the morning because that's the time we're the most productive. Um, mm. So it's like almost like you're putting seeds into your mind at that time. And... Um, Actually, I'm guilty of uh, not of actually. As soon as I wake up, sometimes I do look at my phone, yeah. and and I wonder why I do that. Um, I should be doing something else, and I have been guilty of, of that. Um, so I've noticed that since maybe six months, as soon as I wake up, I get my coffee, and I just quickly skim through my emails, my messages. And, you know, not Facebook, because I'm not as much of a Facebook addict as you. <laughs> but I do look at all my messages. And, um, and then I actually meditate. But I want to actually do the opposite, because, again, if the mind is where, you know, that's where you're going to be feeding your mind, um, they say it's very important to first feed your mind with positive thoughts. And... Um, so, you know, I, I practiced Raj Yoga meditation. Um, I did that three years, I started three years ago. And um, they say that our mind is almost like a battery, you know, a spiritual, mental battery. And as we go along the day, you know, it kind of, the battery goes down. And the, the, how much you recharge it depends on what happens to you during mm -hmm. the day. So, for example, our bodies, how many times we, we feed our bodies in a day? Three times for some people, five times, six times for six others. Times. I don't know. Oh, sometimes okay. you're hungry every two hours. <laughs> um, but with, I realized before I started Raj Yoga meditation that I used to not feed my mind or nourish my mind. So go throughout the day, not really be aware of my thoughts and just go on. And the, the first course I did here, I was, I was taught that basically as soon as you... You go out in your day and you're just going on without feeding your mind. 
things can happen to you. Your mind, you know, will just take over you. And um, I learned something called, you know, like we have four types of thoughts. And one is basically positive thoughts, which we all have. Then there's negative thoughts, which is any bad thoughts that you may have or, you know, not very good thoughts. And then there's neutral thoughts, which is basically something like, oh, I need to brush my teeth or I need to, for example, uh, go to work. And then there's another fourth type of thoughts, which is called uh, wasteful thoughts. And what that does is, is actually, as soon as you start thinking wasteful thoughts, it actually weakens your energy. And that's the mind energy I'm talking about here. What sort of wasteful thoughts are these? What, as an example, what's so a wasteful thought? So a wasteful thought could be, um, oh, um, I've got this deadline and I need to submit it right now. What am I going to do? If I don't do well, what will my manager do? I might get fired. Right. So these are you know, thoughts that create stress, fear, anxiety. Um, and I learned that you can actually top up your spiritual mental battery in a day. So positive thoughts will increase your energy, but negative thoughts, wasteful thoughts, decrease your energy. And um, I wish I had learned about this ages ago when I was a child, because there were times, I, I, sometimes I go, all, I go to work, and I've not done anything physically that would tire me. I come back home and I'm exhausted, like completely exhausted, and I just want to go to sleep. And I wonder why I haven't done any physical exercise, I haven't run, why am I feeling tired? So it's like almost my mind takes over my body. And I'm just like, why am I feeling so low? Um, so when I started practicing meditation, I noticed a big difference with my mind. Mm. You know, where is my mind going? How am I selecting my thoughts? And, and then I started experimenting with the spiritual battery. So when we're children, for example, you see children are full of energy. They go into their lives, you know, fearless, full of, you know, confidence, and they don't, they don't think about the, the past or the future. But as we go through life, our spiritual battery goes down, and we start thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do in my future? Or I start thinking about my past. And these thoughts affect my energy. And, uh, yeah, so I started experimenting well, I with that. I suppose you've got people, even if they're friends, but they're interacting and their minds are both operating at that sort of level. Yeah. And that's just sort of the quality of the energy that's happening in terms of their interactions, in terms of their friendship. Yeah, absolutely. I as well, right? It's, I, I really resonate with that thing about, you know, the importance of the morning hours. I was at a media conference not too long ago, and there was, I think, a guy from one of the European media organisations um, who's in charge of their news website. Um, and he's talking about how important it is to get um, fresh news stories onto their website as early as possible in the morning. Um, and one of the things he said, which is really I found really interesting, was that there are four key times of the morning for us. Mm. And it's one minute past six, 6.31, one minute past seven, and 7.31. Mm. I thought... That's quite precise. Yeah. Why, why those? Why, why that? And so mm. I asked him, and he says the reason for that is that people set their alarm clocks for the top of the hour and half past the hour, and it usually takes them about a minute to wake up, having been woken by their alarm clock, pick up their phone and look at the news website on oh their my phone. God. And so <laughs> the key time is when the alarm clock's just gone off at six o'clock. 
or 6.30 mm. or 7 o'clock or 7.30. Give them a minute <laughs> to just sort of hit snooze a couple of times maybe. Um, you know, roll out of bed. And, and I do this. The first thing mm. I do, as you were saying earlier, is pick up my phone. Um, and they said, this is our opportunity to grab their attention. <laughs> this is yeah. the most important time for us to grab their attention. Because if we can grab them now, then we've sort of got them. Yeah. <laughs> Almost incredible. like a drug dealer. <laughs> you know, sort of mentality. Um, and you're right. When I pick up the phone, first thing I look at is, see, you know, there's almost always flashing light because I've got emails or mm. someone sent me a message, um, you know, o- overnight or whatever. Um and then I immediately get absorbed in just clearing that yeah. content. Um, and then suddenly my mind is already sort of infected mm. <laughs> by what I've just consumed. Yeah. Um, and I haven't even brushed my teeth yet. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's really interesting, by the way, I've read recently that you, you, um, it's not too far away before you start getting smart brushes and smart mirrors. Mm. And this is not really anything to do with the talk, but it was interesting. So what what these what these gadgets will do in the future is that um, the the brush will have a microchip in it, which will connect to the mirror, which will actually be a screen that is just a reflective screen, like a monitor. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as you start brushing your teeth, the the mirror will realise that you are in front of it, and that because of that action. It will start then delivering you that morning's news bulletin oh, whilst wow. you're brushing your teeth and looking at the mirror. <laughs> and so even while you're brushing your teeth, you won't escape in the future. <laughs> and yeah. so, but people really, really want this sort of stuff. I think people would yeah. like that, though. Yeah, to I, be I sort of like they would find it cool. So exactly, and, and, and that's the thing about gadgets and this sort of technology, isn't uh, it? That people get addicted to it because it looks cool and yeah. it's like a new fun thing to play with. Or even like the yeah. Apple um, Watch. Watch, yeah. I've I've taken my smartwatch off this today. Okay. Well, yeah. That maybe that could be the first <laughs> related death, <laughs> which might make a good story. I'll, I'll try and follow up on that. Um, yeah, but it's, uh... it's like. I think even now you have smartwatches and mm. I have a smartwatch which I've taken off tonight because I didn't want it buzzing whilst yeah. I was talking on stage. But what it does is that it pairs with your phone. So because it's too difficult, if my mm. phone is ringing, I can't put, put my you know, hand into my pocket and pull out my phone. So what, it, what yeah. the watch does, it just vibrates and I can just quickly look and say so-and-so is calling me or someone has sent me a message, yeah. which sounds really sad when I yeah. talk, talk about it out loud like that. Um, but um, that's where people are, you know, people are, you know, you now have a sort of a second screen for your phone, which mm. is a smartwatch now. Yeah. Um, and it's got to that point where, you know, some people say that the phone is like the remote control of your life now. Yeah. And all the social media things that are, you know, on your phone. Yeah. I mean, someone told me the other day she can't live without her phone. She has to even have it in her bed, you know, yeah. like near her pillow as an alarm clock, yeah. like, you know. So, so one of the things... It sounds like a weird thing to say, but what you do in the morning has a big impact on your friendships. Mm. Um, and the two seem like totally unrelated and don't correlate. But actually, you know, if we are able to disassociate the infection in our mind as soon as we wake up in the morning, then yeah. that probably does have quite a big impact in how we're able to then fulfill the rest yeah. of that day. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like we've lost intimacy with people. Yeah. That's what I feel. So um, the video you were talking about. So there's this girl. She's with her her partner. They're having dinner, and he's just on the phone. 
during the whole time in the dinner. And I thought this was just, um, you know, maybe just what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. But I spoke to another friend of mine and th he told me the same thing, that that's what's happening in their relationship. So they have different interests. They're going to their own rooms and eating dinner with their iPads, you know, or going. Yeah, so that's that for me, that's very strange because mm -hmm. how do you create intimacy? You know, dinner time is to talk to each other, to give eye contact or even to... Just to share, okay, mm. so how are you doing today? You know. That's not so you don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, yeah, so I think, yeah, and people are not, again, people yeah. are not being, so I coach a lot of people and they don't feel heard or seen, mm -hmm. you know. So it's like they... If I haven't had a bad day, I don't want to hear about your bad day. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather have dinner with my, uh, my Yeah, so it's about how you deal with uh, emotions as well. Yeah. So that's also, it's a new way of dealing with emotions. There's, uh, there, just this week, actually, there's another story that was on the BBC News website um, about this trend called ghosting. Hmm. Has anyone heard of this trend called ghosting? Um, so what this is, is when you have two people who are going out, have been on a few dates, and then one person decides that it's not really working and they want to end it. Um, hmm. And so what they do is that they just ignore the other person's messages and never reply ever again hmm. and so it's and <laughs> there were some amazing uh, stories I read um, I think it's in the New York Times covered it uh, earlier in this week as well and they actually um, spoke to a number of uh, people where this had happened to them hmm. where you know it was one woman who had been on a few dates and everything seemed to be going well and the guy said okay see you you know I'll see you tomorrow um, and then she sent him a message next day no reply sent a few more messages no reply try calling no reply yeah. never heard from him again and the same thing happened with you know other guys where it happened to them and a lot of sociologists have started you know studying this trend now and they say that because people have lost any ability to actually communicate with each other anymore they don't even actually know how to end relationships yeah basically it's killing the art of conversation yeah. and so even people don't know how to have a conversation yeah. anymore and so people just think the easiest thing to do is to just you know switch off that digital communication <coughs> and that eventually the other person will just figure it out yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's well, at least you get a text message to say you've been dumped, so you know, right? Uh, whereas this is just like a nothing. It's a wall of silence. Um, and I realised, man, this is, you know, this shows you yeah. how ingrained this sort of technology and this behaviour pattern has got. Have you ever ghosted anyone? Ghosted? No, is that no, the word? I've never been ghosted or, oh, or okay. the other way around, thankfully. Um, so, just wondering. No. Um, but what I think... I think there's a question there. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I've unfriended 30 people. I've unfriended oh, 30 yes. people. But actually, that probably... Yeah, you're, you're right. God. God, you're right. Because, yeah, I've just unfriended them. They don't know I've unfriended them. But they might one day just look at me and say, hang on a minute, why, why does it say add friend next to Trishar? Didn't I, was I already a friend of his? Um, but actually, those 30 people were people I had never interacted with, even on Facebook for a long time so I don't I genuinely don't think they'll miss me but but that was the reason but that was the reason why those 580 people were still there because I felt well if I unfriend them they might notice at yeah. some point and is that a rude thing to do um and so and I guess you know maybe about 
200, 300 people I sort of interact with over the course of a year on Facebook. Yeah. So it's a reasonable number, but, you know, that's still only less than yeah. half of those people. And there's a lot of research, isn't there, that says that in, re- in terms of real-world friendships, a human being can't really be connected to more than 150 people. So that's not just friends, but that's family, work, colleagues, everything. Basically, the human mind isn't built to be able to manage more than 150 human connections. So when you say manage, Um, you mean be friends with? Not necessarily just be friends, but just being able to be in connection with 150 people. So, you know, whether it's, you know, parents, family, Mm. cousins, you know, as well as friends or work colleagues. Um, And then clearly, so, you know, if I've got a single standard of friends, then that means that there are 450 of them who aren't really my friends at Mm. all. And I sort of know that. Um, But it sort of somehow feels reassuring um, to have next to my name on Facebook Trisha has 610 friends, just in case yeah. anyone comes across me. And I come across as a reasonably popular guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it creates a lot of insecurity as well Clearly. in children. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's, so this um, thing about the morning then, I wanted to talk a bit more about this and find out a bit more about uh, it from you as well. Um, so you were sort of introduced to Raj Yoga about three years ago. I guess it's a bit different for me because I sort of was brought up in with meditating in some form or another but for you there was a sort of at least a clear introduction in yes. your life at a certain point so what impact did that have on your life when you started meditating and the sort of the friendships that you had um i, I guess before i talk about about uh, my relationships it's about the change i saw yeah. in me so um like i was saying my spiritual battery was very weak i think when i first came here and um I used to react to situations rather than respond. So anything would happen to me if my battery's low, I would just, you know, get angry with people, mm. whether it's at work or, or really take things personally. So, you know, if someone doesn't say hi to me one day, I feel I would get hurt. And uh, Raj Yoga meditation allowed me to change the way I was uh, being or responding to situations. So um, it made me more mentally strong, first of all, emotionally resilient, and emotionally intelligent. So when I say that is, I was much more aware of my feelings, about my thoughts. So sometimes, like, when I used to get others' thoughts or I used to feel angry, I would go into escapism, so not really deal with my emotions, just park it away. But with Raj Yoga Meditation, I I learned, okay, I'm not going to park it away, I'm going to look at it and and see what's going on here. Why am I feeling this? And then just understanding what's going on, when you make it real, actually it's not that scary anymore. And then instead of reacting, you start responding to situations. So, because you have more, it's almost like an inner power that develops, Mm. and you strengthen. So that spiritual battery, that meant it just becomes stronger because you're nourishing it just like a plant every day. And for me, that was my first uh, change. And as I did that, my relationships improved as well. So, you know, as you change, your the world changes as well mm. with you. So it, it was almost about sort of having a bit of a course correction about how you see yourself. Yes. Uh, that's what really then had an impact on yeah, I mean, the relationships I, around you. Yeah, I guess the other thing that, that happened was my confidence. So before, my confidence was based on the exterior, what job I had, mm. what, you know how much money I'm making, all those kind of Mm. exterior made me feel confident about who I am. But it was very temporary. 
So as soon as, let's say, my job wasn't going well or my relationships were not going well, my confidence level was, you know, depleting. But when I learned how to access that inner power, that strength within, my confidence has become co more constant, where it's not shaking that much mm. because it's not a temporary thing anymore. It's my inner being. So I know who I am now and I'm, you know, strong in that sense. It's, it's almost like a self-respect that you start developing. Okay. And so... And that, and that clearly and has a yeah, positive so, impact. So in terms of relationships, yeah. it helps you because... Once you start nourishing yourself and giving yourself that happiness, that all that you need, you don't take from people. Mm. So your expectations are not that much. So if you're so you're not, weak inside... So it's not, you're not dependent on You're not dependent on, okay. on people's uh, reactions yeah. or behaviors towards you. Mm. So if I'm feeling not very good about myself or anything, I'll start taking from my friendships or relationships. Mm. But if you're full inside, when you're already full, you don't take. You actually start sharing. But when, you're, when you have nothing, you want to take. Mm. Whether I want to go shopping, let's say if before I used to feel not good about myself, I would go crazy shopping, maybe, <laughs> you know, really, and buy shoes and bags. And I don't know if some women relate to me, but that's what yeah, happens to us. Or. Yeah, or you start taking, so other people start taking by, I don't know, drinking a lot more. Yeah. So we're in a culture where people are, you know, drinking every day because there's some emptiness yeah. inside. What about the actual quality of the conversation that you yes. have with your friends? Because I've noticed that yeah. when I'm actually in this mode of, you know, being much more centered mm. after I've meditated and that the quality of my conversations improve. And it's not so, so much just the superficial stuff mm. about you know, football or what's been on the telly or, you know, going shopping, whatever it is. Um, but the conversation seems to be much more genuine and gen and therefore more interesting because the connection seems to be yeah. deeper. So why don't you share that? Why don't you tell me how, you're, how have you started communicating with people? Um, so that's, you know, I guess my, that's been my observation that in, in times where, you know, in the mornings where I have been able to be much more centred, um, more focused on myself, and there's a better sense of awareness of who who I really am, and you know, you, as you were saying, the sort of dependency or the reliance on other people, um, you know, um, having to say things to you to make you feel better, mm. when, you know, it sort of eases away. Uh, and as a result, when I'm having a conversation with a friend, then it's I'm just genuinely interested in knowing how they are. Yeah. And I don't just say, how are you? So that it's my cue to then say how terrible I am today. Mm. Uh, as soon as they just say, you know, as soon as they respond. And I think it means that they notice that mm. as well. And that draws them into a better conversation as well. Yeah. And maybe helps to draw them away from the mobile phones and so on. I, I guess, yeah, I agree with you. As you're, you know, you have this mind chatter. And mm. when you meditate, your mind chatter goes down. Mm. So you're more aware and you live in the present moment. So in that situation, when I'm with my friend or with somebody I'm talking to, I guess I give them my 100%. Mm. And also, I really see the person. So when I say, you know, like, I don't know if any of you have seen this movie called Avatar. Mm. And Avatar. their Avatar, yeah. And the... The guy keeps saying, I see you. Mm. So for me, what that means is I see your soul. I see your spirit. Not who you are outside, whether you're male, female, whether you're a corporate or a doctor. Or, I just see you, mm. yeah. So I see you. 
And for me, again, Raj Yoga teaches us that we are, I am a soul. So mm. I'm that spiritual energy. And I, start, I started seeing people that way. Mm. And I guess it made my relationships a lot more authentic and real. And when you feel that authentic feeling, you can share your vulnerabilities. Mm. And I think that opens up a lot of things. So before, I would never share any of my weaknesses, vulnerability, unless I felt really spa- safe. Mm. But now it's just easier for me because I'm accepting myself and accepting who I am. And not so worried about what they think of you. No, I'm not no. worried at all. So before, I used yeah. to be because I didn't want to show you know, that I have any weakness. Or, mm. But now it's easier for me to share that because I don't think it's a bad thing. Mm, yeah. So my relationships have got deeper, and I think what's also improved is my intuition. I guess so. I I can meet someone, and if I say how are you, and they're like I'm great, but I can notice actually what they're not saying. You know, just beneath mm. the surface. I actually remember someone saying to me that you know if you just look at someone for so three hours, three hours, three three seconds. <laughs> And you look at that three hours, it might feel a bit weird. Um, yeah. But if you look at them to eye contact for three, three seconds, then you'll get a real sense of how they're feeling. Mm. Uh, and so you know, how, you, how you can be more intuitive yeah. is often just by looking at someone <laughs> genuinely yeah. uh, and just seeing that soul, the spirit that you're talking about. Mm. And so, yeah. this is what I guess... So this, within Rajoga, there's this practice called drishti. Yes, Which drishti. is this idea that... Very much what you said in Avatar. <laughs> it's a spiritual vision. So yeah. that the Hindi term is drishti, but yeah. it means spiritual yeah. vision. But essentially, it so. means I see you. Yeah. Right. And um, I remember when when I first saw drishti in action was when I was a kid, and my parents would take me along to the, the local Brahma Kumari Center, and I'd see people who were just sort of staring at someone, <laughs> and I'm thinking. This looks weird. What are they doing? <laughs> Why are they just staring at this person? Um, but what actually, as I grew up, it made more sense to me that actually this is a method to understand or even train your eyes mm. to see people in the way that they deserve to be seen. And to see, absolutely, to see through the physical and actually really see who they are. And actually, it's not a weird thing at all. It's actually probably the most beautiful thing that you can do when you really do it well. Yeah. I mean, it's easy, for example, in the before, it used to be easy for me to see babies that way, yes, you know, yeah, yeah. because you're, all babies look yeah. mostly the and, same. And you know that that's how babies see you. They just yeah. see you in wonder, don't yeah. they? You know, what is it about babies that people yeah. melt when they're in the... <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they're... Yeah, so they've not been conditioned by the world and that we've, you know, have had to go through. Yeah. And so they just see you with wonder. Um, and I guess it allows you to give people a chance as well. Sometimes yeah. where, you know, we judge a book by its cover yeah. as well. So, so one thing I wanted to also mention was, so we talked a bit about Raja meditation yes. and the importance of the morning hours and actually what a close connection that has to your relationships and friendships and the importance of thinking about ourselves and how we see ourselves. And... Just before this talk, one of the things I've been thinking a bit about this week was what else is it about Rajoga meditation that really connects with me on this subject of friendship? And one of the things that that is a very fundamental part of the med- Rajoga meditation practice, which I guess makes it different to just normal mindfulness, is how you connect with the supreme being or mm. the divine energy or the supreme soul. And one of the things that I've always found 
And the most interesting about Raj Yoga meditation is how we develop a particular type of relationship of friendship hmm. with that soul, with that being, that divine energy. And it's not a concept I've ever come across in any other context that, you know, whether you call it God, the supreme soul, that mm. this being is my friend. Yeah. So have you ever had that type of... Um, I, I had it when I was younger, yeah. much younger. You know, again, I'm always going back to children because that's what reminds me. Um, you, you know, children always have, you know, a presence with mm. them. They say, oh, I see things or I'm, you know, because they always, they never feel alone, actually. Mm. Um, so I guess that friendship, I, I understand it, but I think today people wouldn't understand yeah. how to develop a friendship with the divine. Yeah. Even me in the beginning, I used to find it very um, abstract. You know, how can you have a friendship mm. with someone? Yeah. Like, how do you, so how do you connect to the friendship? So I'm not sure I've completely cracked it yet, <laughs> but what I, what I found useful was when I was going through this sort of practice was, okay, what are, yeah, break down the component parts of what makes a relationship one of friendship. Mm. Um, and I just started thinking more about, okay, well, what is it that defines a friend or a best friend? Um, leaving aside, you know, their physical form or whatever, but what is the quality of that connection that defines it in that way? Yeah. Um, and it seemed to break down into things like, you know, complete trust, um, being able to be open, uh, honest, being able to be vulnerable, mm. um, but also being there, um, ha having a source of support, yeah. someone who understands you, someone who knows you. Um, and then when I started breaking down you know, that relationship into these component parts, I then started trying to fit them into this connection with the Supreme, with mm. God. Um, and as as part of my meditation practice, I started almost having a sort of, uh, you know, allowing that, those component parts to develop into feelings um, and a way of connecting to that being on that level. Mm. So traditionally, you know, I suppose it's much easier or conventional to think of God as a supreme being or the Father or the Almighty. Mm. So those are sort of the connections that I think most people are more familiar with. Um, but to then actually, you know, think of God as my friend, it suddenly became a much more personal mm. sort of connection. And I didn't feel guilty about, you know, sharing things. You know, you just, you know, talking in my mind with this connection as mm. part of my meditation practice. And it, it felt like a really sort of healing relationship mm. um, where there was no judgment coming, coming back the other way, which again was quite an interesting thing because I guess a lot of people may have this concept of God as this sort of quite almighty but judgmental mm. being that, you know, you have to, you know, worship. And there's or, almost like a distance, yeah, you know. And that's, that you know, sounds... clearly that can't be a, a relationship yeah. of closeness can be you know lots of other very useful relationships but not a closeness but you can when you break that connection down to as a friend yeah and as a real friend so so what do you what do you notice as you share with the supreme soul with this yeah. almost eternal friend yeah. what what do you notice well one thing i notice is that he's always there hmm. and so you know no matter you know how close a friend you have in the physical world no, much how, no matter how much they may want to, they cannot guarantee that they will be there when you need them. Mm. Just because, you know, you may be in different parts of the world. Um, 
uh, or you know they for whatever reason they may then move away um, or just you know that relationship becomes more distant but this is sort of the one friendship which you know is going to be there for the rest of your life yeah. if you choose to have that connection and how do you know he's there I think it's um, it's a feeling. I don't think you can prove clinically mm. with you know evidence or empirically that this is this is the case. But where I found it most beneficial is at moments in my life where I really felt I needed a friend, or moments in my life where I felt lonely. Mm. And I think that's quite often the time when <laughs> we might go onto Facebook to try and find some sort of connection yeah. with people digitally. Um, and even if I have friends in real life or you know people may be in relationships or close relationships but that doesn't necessarily stop them from feeling lonely at certain mm. moments in their lives um and for me this plugged that gap yeah so that no matter how you know i might be in the most remotest place in the world cut off from the rest of the world and no one around to talk to but just by changing the awareness in my mind i suddenly am in the company of someone mm. of a friend someone i want to be in the company of um, and that becomes a really powerful thing. And then for me, I think, I guess I realized that loneliness is just a state of mind. Mm. It's got nothing to do with how many people are around you, no matter how close they may be. You know, people who have really close relationships can still feel lonely sometimes. But you can be, you know, completely on your own physically, mm. but never feel lonely. And I think yeah. it's because of that ability to then be able to connect with the Supreme Soul in yeah. that way. So you. Do you feel you can access this this power or this friendship anytime you want, or what, how do you do? Yeah, when um, you said that you plug that awareness, how do you do that? Um, so it's about just going through the process of, I guess, very similar to what you said earlier about how you practice meditation in the mornings, where you're just beginning to retune your mind and your normal pattern of thinking. And I think the first process is that you just start slowly withdrawing your awareness and attention from what's happening around you and then beginning to move more mm. inwards and focus more on the energy of the soul within. Um, and then as you do that, the natural quality of the soul, the, you know, the latent energy of peace, love, happiness, it begins to emerge. Mm. And that for me acts as a sort of springboard to then be able to connect with that supreme yeah. being, with God, with my this this uh, eternal friend of mine, yeah. um, and then it just becomes like a conversation. You know, mm. you can yeah. I suppose saying it out loud, it can make you, make me sound a little bit crazy that I'm just yeah. talking to someone that may or may not exist, depending on you know people's percep um, perception of it. But I think the real value of it for me was what am I getting in return mm. during this process. And if I'm feeling much more fulfilled, free, um, and feel loved, mm. and I think that's the opposite, isn't it, of loneliness, feeling yeah. loved, um, then that's the, the critical thing mm. um, that really helps plug that sort of gap. And then I think what I found is that once I have that connection, then God's or the, you know, the supreme soul, the divine, is the one being you can guarantee they will always be there. Hmm. No one else in this world can give you that guarantee, no matter how much they might want to. And you can't give that guarantee to anyone else that you know, no matter how much you might want to. And um, I think that's an incredibly powerful thing hmm. when you realize that you have this massive support in your life, 
spiritually. And absolutely, there will always, you know, you will have this feeling of love from this person and it will be unchanging no matter what you're doing or how you're behaving. Yeah, it's almost like this security and love that you get and And you feel full, like rather than feeling empty. And I think then that has, you know, has a big impact on then the way you um, interact with the world around you. Yeah. Um, you know, you said it earlier, didn't you? That you know, once you meditate, you feel that you can give of yourself much more fully yeah. to those around you, um, yeah. and that must have a you know a positive impact on friends and the connections that you have with them. So rather than it just being superficial friendship and superficial conversations you may have with your friends, mm. it becomes something that's instantly much more meaningful and valuable. Mm. No, it's true. So yeah. we probably come to near the end of our conversation but might be an opportunity if anyone has any questions or comments or your own experiences you want to share yeah yes it's um, almost a paradox isn't it because when you're with this technology you have a great sense of control and power pushing these buttons and things are happening but it in essence you're actually losing that control and power and you're actually uh, your self-esteem is actually going in this affirmation from messages you're getting that you're an important person so it is a quick question that we've lost control haven't we where these machines control us Mm. that we wake up first thing in the morning and even before brushing our teeth if the machine's there we just say oh you know let me just see and it sort of takes you on a tangent then and you can't really prepare yourself for the day so it's almost like trying to restore that power Mm. like um what I found useful is just switching it off and then putting it in my bag downstairs so it's not close to me yeah. in the bedroom and then that sort of gives me a, a better approach in the morning. Uh, that was one point that I wanted to talk about the technology, the fact as to what a paradox it was and what a, what a fight it is now for us to gain control and power of our lives. And when we talk of uh, God, uh, your experience... Um, this recognition of God, was it because you had been preempted that there was God, or do you think the feeling just came? For me, it was, um, it was never a question of whether there was a God or not, but I was just curious as to... Because we're all told by our parents, yeah. aren't we, that there's God. You know, if, so you, me, like if you work a, hard enough, you will connect. Yeah, yeah. so for me, that was sort of, a, I guess, parental conditioning, to just accept that there was a God. So it was never a, sort of a question in my mind if there was or not, but I think the question was, how do you actually really connect and I think that's what I started to try and figure out for myself as I grew up and try to, you know, develop ways of being able to get that. And what was the turning point? Was it an experience, like a, a success yeah. that you got I'm not sure as a result was, of your meditation? I'm not sure if it was one specific sort of turning point because I think it was just a general deepening of my experience as I grew up. Um, I can probably remember a couple of occasions, maybe when I was about 16, um, and I was in actually Mount Abu uh, in India where the, the Brahmkamari's main base is. And I think what really helped me there was I was just in an environment which was, the vibration was very silent and very peaceful. And I was just around uh, lots of people who were meditating. And so there was quite a powerful atmosphere. Mm. And I think that really helped draw me into that that, that experience. The feeling more. that he was out there. Yeah. And, and then really then... I think it was just moments in my life um, where I just felt that support um, at moments when I needed it. And it was because I made that little switch in my mind to turn my awareness to that being. And 
um, magic happened. You know, things changed, things moved as a result. I think that's what helped establish my um, faith. faith or my confidence in this. Hmm. What about Rina? What about you? Uh, yeah, it's, for me it's quite personal, but um, I'll share in the sense that... Um, so as I was saying, when I was a child, I always felt a presence with me. You know, I, I never felt alone or scared or any fears. But as I grew up, I started feeling something is quite not right. And um, when I did the, I think it's in the second or the third uh, uh, course of the Raj Yoga meditation, the third class, we spoke about the divine, the supreme soul. And um, I went through this meditation commentary as well with my teacher and I started experimenting with it and I reconnected with that presence. And that's the only reason I'm here today because I actually felt it. So it was very experiential. I actually felt him. Mm. And I feel him even now in the room. Um, and that's a very, it's a very good feeling. You know, you, like you said, you don't feel alone, you feel strong all the time and you feel topped up. But again, it's like, um, it's like the radio, you need to connect with it. So if I want to watch the BBC or I want to watch uh, any other program, I need to connect to it. So how do I connect to it? I need to switch on a remote control or a switch. So that's, we've shut off our switch, which is, so when I point out here, it's, you know, the, the soul. The soul is resided here according to Raj Yoga. And it's the seat of where everything in your life is, you, you access everything from here, which is your spiritual energy. And it's, um, once, we've shut this off completely. That's why we're not being, we're just going to life without opening up that other part of our lives. And so that's the switch for me. Once mm -hmm. I switch this on, I can connect with that presence for me. And thinking of that, that point about the early morning, I think, becomes so critical at that yes. point, doesn't it? Because if you, as soon as you wake up, if you're able to switch, yeah. then that, you know, guarantees the rest of the day. Almost, Absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's I was going to say thanks for reminding um, myself and all of us, I guess, that the universe is our friend. Yes. <laughs> and because I, w I work a lot with people with mental health, prisoners with mental health, and it's interesting to remember that you know their delusions is sometimes their faith. Mm. So thanks. Mm. Okay. Last question. I guess it's. Um, uh, some people may think that I may be being too positive, <laughs> but it's more of a, a kind of statement and question to both of you about, um, I mean, you kind of touched on the positive, uh, the positives of having social media around nowadays and technology and stuff, but um, I don't know, I think, I feel like there's, there's, uh, I mean, also you touched on it as well, but I guess I'm just speaking out loud because I'm an extrovert, <laughs> but um I think there's a real sense of, uh, and Rina touched on this, is having a, an ownership over yourself before you have ownership over technology, right? Mm. And so um, <clears throat> I guess my question to you is, what do you see the Because technology is, the reason technology is building up, in my eyes, is because we need it. And because so much is happening in the world that, but what the problem is, is that we're starting to rely on technology and so it's affecting all different relationships, all of that stuff. So I guess what's your 
for both of you, what, what's your kind of future vision for it? Because uh, I don't feel like you've given it a chance <laughs> this evening. Enough of a chance. I feel like we've blamed it too much. So uh, yeah, I guess that's my thing. What's your What's your future vision of it? How do you th How do you see us using it? And if and if and when more things come out, what's your What's your kind of uh, your kind of uh, future telling of our relationships with those kinds of things? Um, yeah, so for me, I think technology is going to go a long way and it's going to do magic into the world as well. Um, I already see a lot of things coming up. So, for example, um, my aunt, um, she, her daughter just gave birth in Australia and my aunt is all the way in the U.S. So they actually do Skype time and she's able to see the baby, her, her grandchild. So for me, all these are things that, that give you happiness, of course. Um, and I see things even getting better in terms of technology. Um, but I feel we've, I just don't think we should become slaves to technology. Mm. That's the only thing, part that, that actually scares me. And even for me, I'm very passionate about children. So not being, children not being able to give eye contact, not being able to express themselves, or a child telling me that they're feeling depressed, for me, that's very sad. So I would kind of, you know, I, I understand the technology is going to go far. But I feel that we're, there's too many things happening and we as humans, we have a responsibility to make sure that it doesn't get worse. Mm. I'll you know, share a lot of that. And I think most people would, would, would accept that the technology or the social media <coughs> isn't good or bad. It's how we use it that determines its value. Um, and you know, absolutely, you know, the grandmother who's you know, looking at her newborn grandchild from halfway around the world on a Skype video call, I think is great. It's fantastic. Yeah. You know, that this is what the power of technology is. Um, and I think there is definitely a lot of value we can take out of it if we are using it with the right consciousness. And that really connects with your question about what happens in the future, because it's personal interest of mine as a sort of a pet subject uh, as well in terms of seeing how technology is evolving. Uh, and you know, I won't go into the details because that's you know, maybe a separate talk, but one of the things that's definitely there is that the whole move uh, in terms of technology development is around anticipating your need almost before you know you need it and delivering it to you. Mm. And there's lots of different you know, uh, innovations and technology changes that are moving the world in this, to this point where technology is there to serve you. And as soon any need that you have, it will be there to deliver it and provide it for you. So what determines the value of that future is what is it that I'm thinking? That is, what is the quality of the energy that I'm emitting that this technology is providing around for? And if it's based on a real pure sense of awareness, then that can be hugely powerful and you know, a very symbiotic sort of relationship. So you know, to end on a positive note. Uh, that's where I think technology can really take us. I don't see a world where technology is an evil thing, and you know, I don't, see, I, I don't envision you know Terminator-style futures where robots are out to kill humans. Um, but I think there is a genuine sense of a real connection between the the facility of technology and the value it brings to us as souls. Um, but it requires us as souls to really understand our own sense of self and our quality of our awareness, because then the two can be very powerful. So, Rina, do you want to finish okay. with some meditation? So, yeah, we can end with some meditation. Um, so, 
uh, if you just get relaxed and put both your feet in in the ground take a moment and just take a deep breath in and take a deep breath out just letting go of your thoughts letting go of anything that does not serve me anymore and just taking a deep breath in retreating from the outside world I go deep within Relaxing my feet, my legs, my stomach, breathing into my chest, breathing into my heart, and just releasing. As I breathe in, I notice a sense of peace. I notice a source of energy. Notice a point of light in between my eyes. It's a living, sparkling point of light. I connect with my inner being. sense the beauty of my being. I am an eternal being. I notice that this being is always within me. And sometimes, I don't listen to it. I'm not even aware of it. As I connect to this source of light, this point of light, I sense a new energy flowing in sense of wholeness
sense of love and I can feel this light in my body around me and I see the beauty of my being I breathe in and I breathe in love and as I breathe out I breathe out all the fear I have because when there is love there is no fear and I know I am love I am love, I am peace, I am joy. As I replenish my energy, the love that I've always had, the peace I've always had, and the joy I've always had, I know I can now share this in my relationships, in my friendships, in my mind's eye. I remember the relationships I currently have. And for a moment, I see every person in my life with a new vision, with a spiritual vision. I see you. Sending my relationships, my friendships, all the love I have for them. And sending them my good wishes through my heart. I am full, you are full. I am complete, you are complete. Connect back with myself, basking in this light. And I'm aware of another presence around me. And I connect to the Supreme Soul. I'm aware of this divine energy beautiful loving energy I can feel the shower of light just upon me and I know he is my eternal friend this one support that I have 
and that I will always have. As I connect with the divine energy, I spend one moment sharing something that's useful, that's important to share at this moment. And I know he's listening. And he's giving me the answers. I am peace. I am joy. I am love. Om Shanti. I'd like to thank Trisha on behalf of all of us, Trisha and Rina, for what I thought was a really uh, engaging uh Interesting, honest, <laughs> few secrets revealed, more than a few. <laughs> we won't blackmail you though. <laughs> and very fluent conversation, so I really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you very much, both of you. <laughs>